Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Um, You might also call that intuition, right? So uh, what is intuition? In my mind, intuition is the summation of a series of experiences that you've had in your life. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I am Edwin Frondoso. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you for joining me today. This is episode number 62, and my guest is Carl Rodriguez, the president, CEO, and founder of Soti Inc., a world leader in enterprise mobility management and mobile security technology. Carl and I instantly got along because, like myself, he is a geek at heart who loves technology, and really interesting, he's now looking into robotics and vision systems. In our conversation, we discuss the differences between the current state of startups versus the old school approach, discovering the challenges of a company growing and scaling around the world, and the government's crucial role in helping companies, organizations become a global player. Our sponsors today are Slingshot Voight, a leader in business voice AI technologies that help Companies understand what the customers are saying when they are calling in. And Lux Second Chance, the leader in online luxury resale. I'd like to thank all of you who have left me comments and rated me on iTunes. I really appreciate it. This latest one is from Sam Laliberti from the Freedom Lifestyle Project. And she says, Edwin has attracted quality guests and provides actionable insights for the emerging business leader. Thank you so much, Sam. If you rate the podcast and leave a review, I will read it out on the next episode. Now, here we go. Carl, welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. If you could start off by introducing yourself to the listeners today, tell them a little bit, something about who you are and what you like to do when you're not growing and leading businesses. So I think um, who I am is, uh, I think I'm really a geek at heart. So I love technology and really I've loved technology for many, many years. So uh, um, when I started Sodi, uh, really fiddling around and really building some kind of technology that I'm really passionate about that really, and, and that really drives me and, and inspires me was, was really a pretty easy thing. And when I'm not building technology, uh, you know, I, I'm a dad, I have a wife, I have two kids and, uh, you know, I would say two teenagers and I deal with all the, uh, you know, the, the teenage kind of discussions and arguments and, and philosophies as they try to get their way and I try to get my way. So, uh, you know, just pretty normal guy other than that. Awesome. I mean, me being an engineer, I, I think you and I could relate much. I mean, when I grew up, I think I took apart radios and I couldn't put it back together. Were you were you something similar when you're growing up and really oh, yeah. curious about <laughs> curious about technology? Yeah, I, I was one of those kids who got in a lot of trouble uh, when I was a kid um, because I was really interested. So my my parents would I come from a family of five kids, so my parents would get us toys and stuff like that. And I'd first uh, look at my toy, and then I wanted to know how it worked, and I'd take that apart. And then when that was done, and and I would look at my brother's toy, and then I'd take that when he wasn't looking, I'd grab that toy, and and that was broken into middle million pieces pretty fast. And when that was done, I was looking at my sister's toy, so. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, I was, I was the one guy who, you know, as 
my sisters and uh, well, my family will tell you that I got the most shots growing up. So <laughs> that's no, awesome. No contest there. Yeah, no, for sure. And I totally could relate. Um, tell me if this is a true story, Carl. I know before I came here, I got information that you're still like meddling around with technology personally. Are you are you building your own CPU right now? Well, I'm I'm interested, right? So um, I, I always I always read a lot, and and I um, you know um, on YouTube, for example, there's a lot of uh, really really smart guys who do a lot of things. So there's um, a particular guy who who's actually building a CPU from scratch. So he has a series, and um, I, I actually follow that series and and a, a number of others. So I'm very interested in electronics and, and really making things and things like that. And uh, I I like to, I get to actually when I do that I get to see. All all the creative ideas of all the other people uh, around the internet. And, and so YouTube is a, is a pretty good way that I follow up on technology. Can you tell us about Soti? Tell us your current role, Carl, and what you're trying to accomplish over the next, let's say, 12 months. So I started Sodi uh, in the in pretty much in my basement, and um, I used to be a software consultant, and I built software for a number of companies. And one day, I uh, you know I, I I had a contract with a company in in California. Actually, I was working in Canada, but I, and I, I got to work, and that company in California had run out of money, and really I didn't have a job. So I went home and, and I told my wife I was going to go down to the basement and start building something, and I built. Um, the first version of, uh, you know, what today is, is some of our core technology. And interestingly enough, you know, there's other people in the world who thought that technology was pretty cool. And uh, from there, you know, we, we've expanded. Um, I think we're about 725 employees globally. Uh, we have uh, people in 22 countries. I think we have seven offices around the world. So, you know, um, I, uh, our products now are sold around the world through a network of uh, 4,000 partners or so. So the company's come uh, a long way and grown a long way from those early days in the basement. So looking forward 12 months, I know when I was looking into SOTI, you guys are releasing a number of things. Like, w- What's your main focus right now? So our core product is um, it's in the category of software called enterprise mobility management. And, and what that means is companies, when they take mobile technology, whether they be couriers or a nurse in a hospital, you know, using a tablet to really deliver meds to a patient. Uh, companies need uh, software to remotely manage and secure this technology, to fix it remotely, to really even train people remotely. So that's our core um, technology. Uh, but we have another a number of other products that really uh, make mobility simpler. Like uh, we have an app generation platform called Sodi Snap, where you know for simple apps you don't even need to be an engineer or programmer. Anybody can create an app. Uh, we have um, products to do business analytics to help you support your business operation remotely. So all the core business challenges you would face as if you wanted to leverage mobility uh, as a key driver for your business. Before jumping into all of that, and you really mentioned that you were a software consultant before launching Soti, and when I looked at your career, you spent a number of times as a as a consultant, as a developer. I mean, quote unquote. I know that the listeners can't see my quotes, but you were in the trenches. So during that time of your career, were there specific times or challenges that you faced that helped you not only grow and gain that insight? but also helped you make that jump to become an entrepreneur outside of, I guess, you did mention them going out of business, but was there, there must have been something before that as well. So, you know, 
Today we live in a world where um, um, there's a lot of um, emphasis on kids pretty much straight out of university, uh, you know, creating a startup and, and, and going from there. Um, so when I graduated, you know, I'm an older guy, so I've been around a while. Um, when I graduated, I really did not, uh, I kind of thought about I'd like to start a business someday, but I didn't really feel that I had the experience and I, and I really didn't even have the confidence to do it. Uh, I wouldn't even have known where to start. So I decided I was going to go and work uh, for a while. And I thought, hey, you know, maybe maybe sometime in my career, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something like that. And so um, as I started to work, uh, you know, I gained a lot of experience. And, and, I, and for me, um, those various things I learned, you know, when I worked in big companies and I learned to deal with managers, um, learned to deal with fellow employees, um, learned, you know, as you work in companies, you're learning things about HR, you're learning things about salesmanship, you're learning things about marketing, you're learning a lot of things. And uh, uh, so for me, um, you know, working for, you know, in around, um, you know, 10 years or so, I learned a lot of uh, lessons that I think helped me. So, so as I became that startup, you know, a little bit later on in life compared to the, the, the young guys these, these days, I believe I was able to jump through a lot of hoops because of that experience. So, um, you know, but that's me, you know, everybody's different, you know, maybe someone else, you know, maybe at, at that young age, you know, 23, 24, they've, they have a lot of those skills somehow, right? But and also being very close to the startup community myself, uh, I invi- advise a lot of startups. But I think the landscape is much different from when you graduated university. It seems like software is a service now. People could come out and create a um, a solution in like a couple of days, whereas you know maybe when you graduated, it was really like you had no idea. So you had to work in in um, enterprise. Or within with within within business as well, right? It, I mean, there there was a difference in time. Okay, here's my philosophy on on being a startup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think people simplify starting a business, right? They they think it's just about being an innovative about technology. I think that's good enough just to start, right? But I, I really think if you build a business that's a multinational, that's a scalable business, you need way more than being innovative in technology. You need to actually uh, look at sales strategies. How do you, how can you be innovative in in terms of getting your product into the market? How how can you be innovative about how you market your product? How can you be innovative in how you deal with contractual issues? You know, contracts are about strategy, right? So. Um, I think um, having a bit of experience means that that you've you've dealt with some of those challenges from from your from experience. I think a lot of startups. If you look at Canada, we have a huge landscape of startups, right? But very 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 few, a minuscule um, proportion of them actually scale and and really make it to the big time. Why is that? Because as they get off the ground, they run into all those other roadblocks. Then that maybe. Uh, uh, a CEO or a management team with a bit more experience would be able to overcome, right? So me starting, you know, later in life, um, you know, having, you know, 
having perhaps dealt with some of those bumps in the road or or having a bit of experience um you know perhaps you know allowed me to get through those those hurdles so uh startups i i really believe that like there's a misconception right it, it, that is just about an innovative technology right i think if you really want to scale a company you need a hell of a lot more than being just an innovative uh, tech you know tech geek or something like that you need you need other skills let me ask you this with that in mind you were probably starting this company as that innovative tech geek per se and you may not have had that expertise when it came to sales strategies or marketing or or distribution models tell me how you were able to gain that experience or at least that exposure as you grew and scaled so I, I wasn't a very young guy when I started, right? So uh, I started uh, Sodi, uh, you know, in in I actually incorporated the company in 1995. So um, so at that time I'd been working for about 10 years. But when I incorporated, I wasn't creating a startup. I incorporated because I was doing consulting work for others. Uh, so 2001 is when I really started building our own products, right? So if you think about uh, you know, uh, 1985 ish to 2001, 16 years of experience, right? So, um, that allowed me to see a lot of things. So I, I would see a lot of things, for example, how to handle VCs, right? So while I didn't experience a VC myself, I, I knew many others who had taken VC funding. I, I read a lot. I read a lot. Well, that was the uh, first internet bubble. That's yeah. exactly so, like so in was, the 90s. I was reading, I was watching. And I was learning from, uh, you know, what I saw others do, right? So, whereas I didn't experience everything firsthand, uh, I saw a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, even uh, as a young guy, I would say a simple thing like when I was in my 20s, I was... Uh, you know, I had to get everything done now, right? You're, you don't, you have, you're impatient, you know, and, 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 but when you're a little bit older, you have the patience to, to really stop and say, Hey, I'm banging my head on the wall here. Let me, let me just back it up a few steps and, and let me look if there's another way. So that, that wisdom and that experience, you know, for me certainly helped me. And I, and I'm pretty, I'm 100% sure if I tried to do this when I was 23, 24 years old, there's no way in hell, right? It would be very difficult. Yeah. So, Take me through the time when you Soti, you launched Soti in, I guess, officially, not incorporated in 2001. And as the company grew and scaled, you as your role probably changed throughout it. Your team changed. So I want to know, I'm really curious, how did you adjust and continually grow and elevate yourself as, as a business leader? So, yeah, with each uh, stage of growth, you know, in this company, you face uh, a different set of set of challenges. And, and uh, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, I, I faced every challenge in the proper way. So, uh, you know, yes, Sodi is a, you know, decent sized company today. But I, I would say that along the way, you know, I, I've made some mistakes. Uh, I do. Uh, I didn't. I. I learned some lessons, but even in this grow, as we grew Sodi, right? Um, you know, there were, there was more lessons to learn, right? So, um, uh, and, and yes, my role had to change. So first at, in the early days, um, I wore every hat, right? right so of course. I, I had to, uh, uh, write the code. I had to <laughs> figure out how to package the product. I had to figure out how to sell the product, how to market the product. Uh, you know, create a company, create the company website. Uh, when someone uh, phoned, I had to pick up the phone and say, "Hello, Sodi, can I help you?" And then they'd say, uh, "You know, can I speak to sales?" And then I'd say, "Sure." And then I'd come <laughs> back on the phone and I'd go, "Sales, can I help you?" You know, so so you have to wear every single single hat. 
Um, but as the company grows, you have to become, uh, have more of a, a strategic hat, you know, and, and you have to think about, uh, problems that you wouldn't think a software engineer, uh, would have to face. For example, hey, I want to take my pro- product and I want to sell it in the Germanic air- area, right? So the dock area, you know, what is the sales strategy I need to really be successful in, uh, German speaking, uh, countries? And then what is the sales strategy I need in the Nordics? Um, you know, how do I, um, how do I w- message my products in different countries? How do I deal with language? So there, you know, and, um, uh, it's really important where I, where I did not understand, uh, something or where to recognize that I did not understand, right? So that just that in itself is, uh, helps a lot. If you think you know everything, then you probably will fail. So where I, I recognized that there was things to learn, I brought in people into the organization. I, when I wanted to go into Japan, I realized that hiring Japanese people on the ground was, was really important, uh, because they would give me the insight, right? They would tell me, you know, what works in Japan and, and to be, to find good people that you can trust as well, you know, to really, um, give you that insight is really important because, uh, they become, if you like, an extension of your brain, extension of your strategy. So, uh, for me, a key, a key point is, uh, was, um, to be smart enough to know that I didn't know something was a really important thing and to, and to really go out and find, um, the people and the resources really to could give me advice and to really become part of, uh, Sodi. So just real quickly, and I know for entrepreneurs, sometimes in the early days when they're, you know, when they're at 20 employees, it's still really difficult to, to understand that, that letting go and maybe not being an expert. How long did it take you or was that a big challenge for you at, at the beginning? Or did you like on the onset really understand that, okay, I'm just going to hire experts? I'm a kind of person who, um, you know, letting go for, for, uh, a CEO is, is really, uh, difficult. It's even, I would say difficult now. Um, because, because if you're a good CEO, you're also a perfectionist, right? So I would say I let go, uh, to the extent that I know, uh, there's, there's someone who, who will do a good job at something, right? So, uh, even now, uh, where I see there's a problem, I'm not going to let go of that because I see I don't have the right people or the right expertise. And so if you like, you know, it sounds like a really bad thing. I will micromanage that part of the business. But where I see someone who really um, understands and, and has good strategy and is going to do an amazing job with a particular area of the business, I find that, you know, really pretty easy uh, to let go because when you get to the scale we are at, um, you know, there is no time, right? There's... There's so many uh, different problems that we have to deal with and so many different um, uh, areas we have to grow or re-strategize. So letting go and putting something uh, today in the hands of someone who's capable is a pretty easy thing. So it's a it's a happy thing. I want to do that <laughs> yeah, of course. because I, w- I want to focus on, on, on all the other problems. <laughs> no, great. Um, you mentioned a couple of things, and I'm really interested in people out there who are maybe in a position to grow and scale into a global company. I mean, you talked about Japan. I know recently there was an announcement of, I think, in the UK to have a bigger facility because you guys are growing. I'm wondering, now that you look back, do you have that sort of play-by-play tips when you're scaling into a new country or a new market or a new network? Like, looking back, because you're – in how many countries? You mentioned it at the beginning. 
So we have actually customers in 176 countries, but we have our own people in 22 countries. But mm-hmm. we have a, uh, how do we get to the rest of the world? We have a network of over 4,000 partners, right? And they take us into the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So we have literally um, customers in any part of the world, but that's through having these um, other people on the ground. So... How are you enjoying the conversation? Carl's such a down-to-earth person and business leader. As soon as I had met him, I felt relaxed. And I assume everyone in his organization gets the same vibe. If you're enjoying this episode, please sign up to our monthly newsletter where we share our latest interviews, events, and upcoming guests. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash newsletter. Now let's get back to it. What I'm curious is that first country where you where you opened up shop that must have been very a big challenge for you at the time because you've never done that and when i talk to entrepreneurs or c levels some of them joke and say i've never managed a company this size every day is always a bigger company and it's always a bigger so when you moved what was the first country that soti went into with employees yeah so the uk uh was probably the first country so um the way it worked for us is is we created a, a product that re, a lot of people liked and that seemed to be great demand. And a lot of people had interest in it. So we uh, very quickly, people from around the world would discover our product, right? They would, we would, for example, do a trade show in the US right? and they would come see us and we'd have uh, people, there'd be people from different parts of the world come in and they'd realize that this was a, a pretty cool product. And when they would go back, they would say, hey, you know, we'd want to, we want to sell your product in this region. Uh, we want to distribute it. And uh, in many cases, people would come and say, hey, I, I saw your product. I was at that trade show and I think it's amazing. I'd like to join your team. I like, I'd like to be a salesperson for your team. And so we had these things kind of happen around the world. Either people wanted to, uh, companies want to resell our products or we had people who wanted to really um, op- help us expand into that region because they, they were really in love with the technology. They really liked the technology we were building. And that's really how we grew. So we found good people in um, in those countries who had that that knowledge and the know-how and we really built on top of them right so but it's a good it's really good you know a lot of uh, when people come in and say hey I'd like to join your company and be your first man on the ground in that place it's really really important to make sure if that's your first person in that area and that's going to be a key market for you uh, that they are trustworthy uh, that they have um, you know the the right strategy you have a common way of thinking right so because it's harder to manage people remotely because you never see them hardly right you don't see their face so it's really important to to really build that camaraderie build that trust and build that relationship that you know this person who you is going to be your first you know that rock that really you build on in that country uh, is going to represent your product in, in a good way because if you don't choose the right person, you know a lot of bad things can happen as well. No, for sure. And me knowing you, you know, learning and building amazing teams around you or executives around you. Were you at that time traveling a lot to ensure that that rock is or that seed is getting planted properly? Yeah, it's it's not only about traveling, it's about um, making those people feel engaged, right? So imagine you, you hire someone in another place. So they're kind of on, like on an island, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're in their country, uh, you are the mothership at HQ. And that's where all the knowledge is, the most knowledge about the product is, that's where the future direction is, that's where the roadmap is, that's where the strategies are, right? So it's really important, um, you know, as you put those people on, if you like, those islands around the world, that you keep 
them engage. You you find a way to communicate. It's it's very, you know, some people they have a local business, let's say in Toronto, right? And they and you'll hear uh, employees saying the communication is not that good. Now you think about it and you say you have people, you know, all around the world. How do you how do you extend that communication? So so when I started in the basement, communication was really good because anytime <laughs> I said anything, everybody in the room heard it, right? Of course. But now you have to have that level of communication. But people are completely on the other side of the world. In many cases, also their their first language is not English. So you got to bring them into HQ. You got to make sure they're properly trained. You got to go spend some time going into their region. You have to do trade shows in their region. You have to have sessions with with them and and your partners to really get the message. You got to pro, uh, uh, produce localized materials. Uh, you got to figure out uh, really, you know, what is the marketing channels? What is the PR you need to do in the region? Um, you know, even engage things like your high commissions, right? So we have uh, Canada has high commissions around the world, and the high commission's job is to to really help Canadian companies in those regions, right? Uh, so leverage those resources that the government really makes creates for you and uh, and is and are there for you as a Canadian company um, to really expand around the world. What needs to be done by either the entrepreneurs or the the companies here in Canada that are trying to be this global player and maybe and I don't know if there's a right answer to this, Carl, but what what can the government do too as well to help us and support us in this global global growth? Well, there is, um, you know, I think Canada is, uh, first of all, an amazing country. You know, uh, we we enjoy so many things here um, that I think um, uh, we take for granted that, you know, our uh, people in other countries just don't even dream of. Right. So so this is a great country. Um, and um, I think we produce a lot of really smart people in this country from our universities. We have an amazing educational system. But unfortunately, you know, a very high percentage of, um, you know, some of the smartest people that we produce actually go, um, you know, go, go south of the border, mm-hmm. work in the U.S. So um, the first thing that I think is really important is, is from a government point of view that we think of strategies to keep more of the talent we generate. So uh, when we say, you know, there aren't any great, uh, a lot of great Canadian tech brands that are, that are, that resonate um, on the global scene, that's part of the problem. You know, if you look at the great brands in the U.S., you know, a great question to ask is how much of that great brand is really powered by Canadians? Imagine if those Canadians were really powering companies uh, in Canada, right? So uh, there's some data out that's come out recently from surveys that we're losing uh, from certain, let's say, um, computer science programs, uh, co-op programs at the University of Waterloo, we're losing over 60% of those grads immediately uh, go to the U.S., they immediately go to the Valley. Um, and then there's another percentage of those that actually go and work for American companies that are planted here, for example, Google or, or, or one of those companies, right? So this is, um, you know, uh, a big talent exodus, right? So the, these people, you know, are educated on Canadian taxpayer dollars. So literally, uh, the Canadian taxpayer is funding, uh, funding the U.S., you might, you might say, right? Or, or, or funding uh, the U.S. Uh, economy, so that's one problem. You know, you know, um, great companies are built on people, right? You, you can't have a great company without great people. Um, the second thing is, um, I would like the people themselves, the the Canadian. Um, you know, I, I like 
my when I speak, uh, you know, like this, one of my uh, the things I'd really like to do is to really inspire young entrepreneurs really to think longer term, to think bigger, and to to really think. You know, we're we're such a polite country that it's almost if I were to say, hey, you know, I want to build Sodi to be bigger than Google. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's a crazy thought, you know, but I Who do say, you think you are. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like that's almost rude. Right. <laughs> and, and I really think, you know, why not? You know, when we play ice hockey, we always as Canadians expect to play for gold. Right. You know, if we win, we, you know, we win a bronze or something like that. People say, oh, man, you know, that's a horrible showing. It's the end of the world. But I think in business, we have to think that way. So, mm-hmm. so the second problem is I think uh, I want to hopefully, you know, be a bit of an inspiration in that, you know, um, I, I want to go for gold. I, I want to take Sodi and create the next great, amazing multinational Canadian company. And that the starting point for that is to think that way, right? You're not going to get there if you don't really think that way. Um, third problem is, you know, I like government also to think big, right? So, so you want the entrepreneurs to think big, but government's got to think big. Um, a lot of the incentives our government have out there are intended for startups, you know, and small business uh, and small business. Yeah. Okay. So, but what happens beyond that? The biggest challenges happen, you know, after the startup stage, right? You know, that's when you, you know, you get attacked by the big multinational players because, because you're, you're claiming part of their turf. That's where you get into, uh, legal issues. That's where you get attacked by trolls and, and patent issues and all kinds of things like that. So, uh, that's where you have to really think about how do I, you know, take my company to the world stage and, and market globally and, and get salespeople in different countries and all those things. So, um, there's no, ecosystem really uh, that's out there that's set up by the Canadian government to really help scaling companies. If you look at internationally, you look at, uh, you know, a company like South, uh, not company, a country like South Korea, right? South Korea is, is a little island, right? It's half of an island, right? And look at the great brand names that come out of that country, right? They got Samsung, they got LG, they got Kia, they've got so many more uh, great brands and, and even emerging brands. How does it happen there? Uh, the reason is the government has an ecosystem really to, to really select the companies that are going to really be crucial to South Korea's future and they back them and they support them, right? Here in Canada, we have a, uh, you know, small business, uh, taxation. And then if you get past small business, well, you know, your, your, your gift, your, your, your prize for being <laughs> successful is you're going to, uh, you know, dramatically increase your taxes, right? So, but, uh, on many levels, right? There's no ecosystem. The, the, the too much success, you, you almost get penalized here in Canada, right? So I think our, as a government, we have to really think bigger and we got to play for gold on all levels. We got to keep our talent here. Our entrepreneurs have to think big and, and play for gold. And our government has to have that mentality as well, right? And uh, a lot of great entrepreneurs, we talk about the brain drain from engineers, some of our best entrepreneurs, um, you know, end up in the U.S. You know, one of the most famous entrepreneurs in the world today is Elon Musk. Guess what? Elon Musk, um, you know, studied at Queen's University here. Why didn't we keep him? Right. So we have to create that, that ecosystem here to keep entrepreneurs and grow big business. I'm really I really want to know if you could name a person, you know, in your life who had a huge impact 
on you and helped you become the leader you are today? Uh, so this is going to sound, uh, you know, as a entrepreneur, I'm supposed to pick a great name, and, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like a very famous person. But, um, you know, my family arrived um, in Canada here uh, as immigrants in, in the 70s. And uh, uh, we arrived here with, you know, five kids, uh, you know, five kids, two parents. My grandmother stayed with us and we had a cat. So if you add that up, it's about nine. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it, you know, it was it was it was really difficult in those early days. My dad tried to start uh, a business, um, and it, it didn't really work. So, my mom, who had never worked before, um, had to go to work, and she worked uh, in those early days as a stenographer. I, I don't know if you know what a stenographer is, but in those in those days, there were these IBM Selectric typewriters, and, and and secretaries and all had to really type out letters and all, and, th- and that was her job. And pretty much, she she supported our family on on that job and to do that uh she would get up really early in the morning like she'd get up at 5 a.m and she'd have to um you know walk to the bus stop and then take a bus and then a subway and another bus on the other side and and walk and she'd come home uh you know every night um you know after seven o'clock right and uh you know on, on weekends she'd be in the kitchen cooking up a lot of food that would keep you know this very hungry <laughs> teenage family you know and and you know boys like me and my brother who ate like horses um you know so that that was pretty tough and and my mom you know uh not only did, was she um you know she she's putting the money on the table to support this family my mom was a great mom whenever we had a problem or anything you know she was always there for us so um her work ethic um you know the family values the family ethics um um, you know, I, I, I really owe a lot to her. So, so, uh, I don't think of it often, but I guess a lot of who I am, it really comes from, from my parents, but especially my mom. So, Carl, what else? Do you have any other special projects, initiatives, or anything that you're really f- excited about, uh, and looking forward to? So as I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm a geek and I, and I love technology and, and I love to really, um, Think of ways that that technology can be used, uh, really to solve business problems or or even to just to help people in, in general, right? So one of the new initiatives we're working on that I'm really interested in, um, uh, we're starting to work a little bit in robotics and vision systems for robotics in particular, right? So this is pretty um, cool new area uh, for me where we're going to use uh, robotics and vision and artificial intelligence uh, really to to use robots to really um, really uh, get data so when you when you when you use vision systems they can look at things and they can um, almost get data from things the way hu- uh, your human eyes can right and to build the analytics and 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 the the really, the really, really smart logic behind it to really um, give us the insights to do things. So think of uh, vision systems where they can be used, uh, you know, in agriculture, for example, where uh, these robots they go and they look at the plants and they kind of detect disease, or wow. um, they can spot, you know, a bug that might actually, if you spot it early enough, you might be able to quarantine that area of your greenhouse before it spreads or, um, you know, uh, understand what sort of uh, things cause your, your plants to grow healthier or generate better fruit or things like that, that, that through 
um, through through really vision systems and analyzing the data. And, and when you do this, well, you know, how much yield you get and when you do that. So computers are really good for that. Artificial intelligence is really good for that. So that's a pretty exciting project uh, that I'm really interested in about, about using vision, vision systems, data analytics, and robotics to really uh, solve, you know, a next generation of problems. Oh, that's amazing. And one thing that came to mind as you were explaining the problem um, is this... This is somewhat related to self-driving cars, right? With the vision and, and having these type of devices, seeing what's on the road. Maybe not to to the extent, but th- me as an engineer, that's what I, that came to my mind, actually. Yeah, it, it is, It is right? So uh, self-driving cars use vision systems and a lot of sensors to really um, navigate and, and really get people there uh, to the destination safely, right? But almost the same technology can be used for many other things. You can think of self-driving vehicles that can be used inside a warehouse, um, you know, in a grocery store, um, you know, or in a retail store. So that that technology, you know, has, uh, you know, we, because I guess there's a lot of marketing around autonomous vehicle, but the same vehicles, but the same technology can be used to really solve a lot of problems. So imagine, you know, in a hospital, right? So you have a a patient, you know, in the future, right? They need to go to, I don't know, the fifth floor for some sort of treatment, mm-hmm. right? You could have um, that 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 uh, wheelchair or that uh, that bed move autonomously uh, to get to that destination. Or um, so there's, there's, there's really a lot of applications in, in I mean, pretty much any vertical. It's really fascinating. Technology can be used for. <laughs> yeah, that's really fascinating, and I, I probably could ask you questions for hours about this. So before we end, Carl, can you give some final thoughts, observations? Ideally, what, what we're trying to look for is some actionable recommendations that you could share to the listeners out there who are either leading a growing global company or, or perhaps looking to start up a business. So I'm going to tie back to something I said earlier on, you know, about when I started my business, I waited a while Till a point where I felt I had enough experience and, and know-how. So um, you might also call that intuition, right? So uh, what is intuition? In my mind, intuition is the summation of a series of experiences that you've had in your life. And sometimes someone will ask you to say, how did you know that? Or why did you make that decision? It's It's really hard to tell because you've had, you know, millions of experience in your life and, and that adds up to something that's going to help you. And, and as an entrepreneur, I think, you know, you, you really need to rely on that because if you try to analyze everything to death and have the data and the surveys, um, you won't get anywhere. So good entrepreneurs really rely on their intuition to guide them and to get them uh, places faster. And, and it's something that I try to, I, I really work hard to use, uh, to really, because, because time moves very fast and, and you, and if you don't get there, uh, in a certain amount of time, someone else will. So you, you need to get there ahead of your competitor, right? Uh, the other thing, uh, that's really important for me is, is the ability to think, right? So that sounds like a really weird statement. But what I mean by that is, um, as your business grows, um, you, there's going to be a lot of demands on you, right? So your business is going to demand a lot of attention from you. Your employees need your time. Uh, you got to spend time with the media. Uh, you got to spend time with your family. So it's really important to really um, find that that space where you can think and that 
time to think, right? So those things have to, ha- those two things have to happen at the same time. And uh, I give you an example, right? So when I um, travel to Asia, right, uh, you know, the people here will, will say, oh, Carl seems really excited because he's going to, uh, I don't know, Korea or whatever, right? Right. And they assume that I, my excitement is because I'm going to this exotic destination. Uh, but really what I'm excited about is the plane ride. Because on the plane ride, you know, whatever that time is, you know, 18 hours or whatever the heck it is to go to that destination, wherever it may be, um, I'm unplugged. My phone's not ringing. Uh, my instant messaging stuff is not happening. Uh, you know, no one's, no one's, uh, texting or, or messaging me. I am completely unplugged. So what I do is actually I take a series of projects and, uh, that I work on for those 18 hours that I really don't get that breadth of time otherwise and where I'm completely detached. So so in, in a busy environment, everybody's trying to get a piece of you. And as a CEO, as I mentioned earlier, you got to brainstorm about everything, not just about technology, about all the other pieces that are going to keep your organization running well and keep it innovative and um, keep it relevant. Awesome. No, thank you for that. Definitely looking forward to your next plane ride, I guess, Carl. Um, so to close, please tell us where you can find more information about you, Soti, or anything else you'd like to share to the listeners today. Well, to find out anything about Soti, um, you know, I guess our website would be a good place to start. So that's Soti.net, S-O-T-I dot N-E-T. Um, if you want to talk to me, uh, you know, perhaps the best place is to hook, hook up with me on LinkedIn. So try to connect with me on LinkedIn and, and message me. Um, happy to chat. And for anything else, you know, there's Google. Awesome. Well, Carl, thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. That's it, biz leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast, episode number 62 with Carl Rodriguez. If you want to learn more about Carl, Soti, or anything else we discussed, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 062 Our sponsors today are Slingshot VoIP, a leader in business voice AI technologies that help companies understand what the customers are saying when they're calling in, and Lux Second Chance, the leader in online luxury resale. And if you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to the podcast today. Thank you again, and Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Okay.